Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We begin a new series tonight. And as I say every time, but I mean it every time, I'm very excited about this series. I don't think we've done anything quite like this. Um, But when we did our series on the Gospels, I believe it was in the fall of uh, 2019, uh, we made reference in the lesson we did on John's Gospel that John records Jesus' participation in the Jewish feasts, that he not only participated, but he attended and was very present um, in his earthly life and ministry. And so our question is simply this, what is the significance of that? We know that John was the last to write his gospel. He had more time uh, to, to consider how he wanted to present the life of Jesus. And so why did the Holy Spirit inspire John to record Jesus's attendance and participation in the Jewish holy days. And so through this series, it is my prayer that we answer the question together by looking at the many things the Bible tells us about these Jewish holidays. We will discover that these were much more than just religious traditions or observances, but the biblical feasts were part of God's redemptive plan. Their purpose was to help the people of God recognize the Messiah when he came. All right. So you see, God has always wanted a relationship with mankind. From the very beginning, he has always wanted to be known by us. And so I hope and pray that during this study, we will see how intentional God has been from the beginning of the Old Testament all until the time he shows up on the scene in the New Testament, that he prepared his people for his arrival because this book that we're studying is all about him from beginning to end. And so I pray that our eyes are opened through this study of a, for a fresh revelation of who Jesus is because it is not intended for it to be a mystery to us. God's ways are mysterious, often mysterious to us, but he himself is not meant to be a mystery. That's why we have this book, so that we can know him and grow in that knowledge of him. And so that was the purpose of the feast days. And so through this series, I know it's Wednesdays and whatever, but I intend to to come head on to any lie that intimidates you or makes you fearful when you go to the Old Testament to say, I can't understand this and God must not care that I know. No, it's all there for your benefit. And so we're hopefully going to find some keys and some clues from Jewish culture to help us fully appreciate the fact that God's plan was so marvelous, so well thought out and planned and specific that he revealed himself through these holidays long before he ever came to the earth. And so this series has one goal and one motivation, and that is to know Jesus better. And that is why I'm so excited. Because we, I don't think I've ever had a specific series that is just about Jesus. And it's high time. I don't know. That'll change. We've got to do better. So, this study contains profound revelation. I'm just going to tell you from the very beginning. 
that I have not scratched the surface, and I don't think anybody really has, but I encourage you to look into it on your own. And so we understand as believers that Jesus was much more than just a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth, that he was the mighty God in flesh. That's what we believe, that he alone fulfilled every single prophecy, every picture that the Old Testament painted of him, of what the Messiah would be and what he would do with his life. Jesus alone checked all the boxes as we're about to see. And so let's look at the feasts and a little bit about the Jewish calendar. Um, I want to set some ground rules for us, though, just in case. Don't be nervous. Nothing's going to be weird, okay? Ground rule number one, we are not Jews, okay? I know that seems obvious that we're all Gentiles, but I've been surprised to read and understand that some Christians feel differently about that. And I would argue that to embrace Judaism and its culture completely would negate what Jesus did on the cross. Okay? So let's be careful about that. And the second ground rule is this. We are not placing undue emphasis on the symbolism of these feasts. Okay? I'm not teaching us that we should observe all the rituals associated with these Jewish holy days. We're going to study the symbolism for the purpose of appreciating the substance of what they represent, okay? And so we're not going to get obsessive and lost in the details. The details are there to point us to the substance, and that is Jesus, amen, because that was always God's intention. All right, so here we go. In the Bible, God often uses visual aids to help us understand spiritual truth. We certainly see this in the ministry of Jesus, right? This is one of my favorite things about Jesus, that he was a teacher. He could have come in any form. He could have been an aggressive, prophetic voice in the world if he wanted to. He could have been the greatest preacher the world has ever known, and yet we know that Jesus came as a humble man, a man of the people, a, a servant, if you will, a teacher. Jesus taught in parables. Why? Because he wanted the people that he was talking to to understand what he was teaching them. And so in the Old Testament, we see that God taught his people through these object lessons that the feast provided for them. He used visual aids. He used word pictures, if you will, to help his people understand who he is and what kind of relationship he wanted to have with them. And so for 1,500 years, the Jewish people learned about the one true God through these visual aids given to them through the law. And so according to Dr. Richard Booker, who is the author of one of the books we're using for this series, the book that this series is titled after, in fact, this is what he says. The Jews' religious laws and rituals taught them how to know God and walk with him on a daily basis. They also pointed them to the Messiah. And while the Hebrew scriptures provided the pictures, the New Testament provided the person. All right, so this is why we're studying this subject. Jesus was the ultimate goal of these illustrations that the feast provided for us. But this doesn't mean that they're no longer helpful to us. It doesn't mean that we can't still benefit 
from its imagery. These visual aids can still help us know God and walk in his ways. And so let us turn to the book of Leviticus. Words I have never said behind a pulpit in my entire life. So if you feel out of your comfort zone, pray for me. Because I am way out there in the deep end trying to keep my head above water. Amen. Leviticus chapter 23. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4 here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. So there's a few things here I want to point out for us as we move forward. It's important to note that the Bible calls these the feasts of the Lord, not the feasts of the Jews. These are important to the Lord, okay? Now, the Hebrew word for feast here does not mean sit down and eat. I wish it did. People like me who are motivated by food would be all about the feast of the Lord. But that is not what we're talking about. Pentecostals love to eat in fellowship. It is part of our identity as members of the Acts 2 church that we continue in fellowship and breaking bread and all these things. But that is not what God had in mind here. The actual word for feast means a sacred season or an appointed time and place. Another interesting thing to note is the meaning of the word for convocation. Now, if you're like me, I was lost after that word. It's not a word I use every day. I don't know about you. If you do, praise God. That's awesome. But actually, what helps us more is the Hebrew word that that word is for is mikra, which means dress rehearsal. Isn't that interesting? You and I think of convocation and you think of probably a religious assembly or something like that. But Jesus, God, in his plan meant a dress rehearsal. This means that the Jews were to act out these festivals for the purpose of practice or preparation for the Messiah. They were essentially learning through these festivals God's plan of redemption. For us, though... These feasts represent steps we take in our relationship with God. And so the rest of Leviticus 23 outlines three feast seasons, okay? With seven individual feasts, okay? Now some of these you will be very familiar with. So let's look at the seasons first. There's three of them. They provide an overview Uh, for us of what God is wanting to show us. So the three feast seasons are this. Yes, there they are. The Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. These seasons represent three major encounters with God that his people had. Think quickly about the Passover and Pentecost. Those are key moments, right, for God's people, all right? And that's what these seasons are about, These encounters with God each had a divine purpose. They provided God's peace, God's power, and God's rest in their lives. 
That's a good prescription for all of us. Amen? Amen. And so these three seasons were spread throughout the year. Now, I'm not going to take the time to explain to you that the Jewish calendar is very different. It's very interesting to look into it, but just know their calendar is set up uh, very different from ours. But within these three seasons were these seven feasts, okay? So the seven feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. These seven feasts represent seven steps toward God for us as believers. Now, stay with me. I know this is a lot. I'm working really hard building some groundwork here. But if you're taking notes, I, I hope you're taking notes. This might require a little more mental effort than you're used to on a sleepy Wednesday night in the middle of the winter. I know this is a stretch. It's a stretch for me. Trust me. Um, But I have found that whatever effort you put into a study like this is well, well worth it. And so I'm going to, I'm wrapping up the introduction of the series. Okay. But let's review real quick before I move you to the first feast. Okay. Each of these seven feasts in the Old Testament pointed the Jewish people ahead to the Messiah. Each feast as John the Beloved would show us in the New Testament, portrayed an aspect of Jesus' life and ministry. Okay, now this is where the goosebumps come in if you're listening. These feasts together form a complete picture of the Messiah. They demonstrated who the Messiah was and what he would do. And as we will see, Jesus not only showed up at these seven feasts, But every major event in his life took place on a feast day. Just gets me every time. And so if that doesn't pique your interest, I can't help you any more than that. I don't know. But just trust me, you want to know more about this. And so for us as New Testament believers, living in the year of our Lord, 2021, these seven feasts show us steps we take in our relationship with God to walk in God's peace to walk in God's power, and to walk in God's rest. Hallelujah. Sign me up. Amen. And so this brings us to our first feast. We will conclude tonight with an overview of the feast of the Passover. I would guess that for a lot of us, this is probably the one we're most familiar with as far as its details and its application in the Old Testament. So let's go back to Leviticus 23, verse 5. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. The Passover was the first encounter the Jewish people had with God as a nation. And what an encounter it was. This celebration was a memorial to the Hebrews' deliverance from Egypt. We know that God used ten plagues against Egypt to get Pharaoh's attention. And the tenth and final plague was the death angel. I encourage you to read Exodus 11 if you need some review on this. But we're in Exodus 12 right now, okay? And so this angel of death would take the life of every firstborn of every family. However, God gave specific instructions on how to escape this plague and the death that it would bring. And so let's look at Exodus 12 
And we are going to read verses 1 through 14 because these details are very important to us when we see Jesus observe the Passover, okay? Exodus 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its leg and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast or as a sacred season to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And so I have a slide here just recapping the instructions for the lamb, because this is very important as we look to the New Testament next. Number one, the lamb had to be without blemish. It was selected specifically on the 10th day of the first month. The lamb had to then be observed for five days to ensure that there was nothing wrong with it. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And so on the 14th day, after those five days, the lamb was to be killed on the doorstep of their homes. Now that's graphic, right? Okay, but this is how it was. The blood would be caught in a basin and then applied to the doorposts, both on the sides and above the door. So the entire entrance of their home was covered by the blood. The lamb would be killed specifically at 3 o'clock in order to be prepared in time for the meal that was to be eaten at twilight. So after they killed the lamb at 3 o'clock at the threshold of their door, they would enter the house and remain there, and they would eat the lamb at twilight on the 14th day. The Hebrew day begins at 6 p.m. All important, important information here. So the 10th day, the lamb is selected. Five days of observation to make sure it's perfect and without spot. And then on the 14th day, the lamb is killed. Now, point to someone around you and say, this is very important. It's very important. Don't get lost in the details here. This is very important. Okay. Now, 
All of that is review, but I want to point out one thing before we move to Jesus in the New Testament that we can miss within the cultural context that we're reading. In ancient culture, it was a common practice to make a sacrifice at the doorstep of your house. I did not know this. But this was something that anybody did to any type of deity. They made sacrifices to gods they were inviting into their homes at the doorstep of their home. So this was not unique to the Jewish people. Okay, And so when we start this study with this understanding, there's so much more we can get out of what happened that night. Before there were temples, before there were tents of meeting, humanity made altars at the entrance of their houses. And when people dedicated these homes, they made sacrifices at the threshold. All right, so in our Western minds, we have limited the meaning of the blood being applied to only protection from the death angel that night. But it meant so much more than that to God. To God, the blood was more than just a plea for mercy against the angel of death. It was much more than just a get-out-of-Egypt-free card, okay? The word Passover actually means to come under the protection by stepping over. The Hebrews were inviting God's protection and presence into their very lives that night. This was an essential first step for them to allow God to lead them out of Egypt, Not just save them from death, but lead them out of bondage. Amen. The Passover was not just about dodging that tenth fatal plague. It was their preparation to leave Egypt as a nation. While the blood kept the death angel out, it also brought God into their homes. The Hebrews were inviting God into their lives. Pass over, God. Step over our doorstep and become a part of our lives. This was the beginning of a covenant that Pastor Tom preached so powerfully about on Sunday. I said today, thanks, babe, for setting me up. This was the beginning of the agreement between God and the children of of Israel through their obedience by applying the blood they were working in agreement with God to say you are getting ready to deliver us from slavery and we are going to work in cooperation with your plan so now let's make our way from Egypt to Jerusalem at how Jesus fulfilled and participated in the feast of the Passover It's noteworthy for us that John begins his gospel with John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. John chapter 1 verses 29 and 36. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was one of the few people who recognized Jesus for who he was. Through this statement, John was not just pointing ahead to the cross, but John was pointing back to a feast that the Jews had been observing for 1,500 years. And so if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm so excited to tell you. 
that it was during the feast of the Passover that Jesus was crucified. It's amazing to realize that Jesus arranged his itinerary with the events that the Jews observed to celebrate the Passover. And so let's look quickly at three things, Jesus and the Passover, that I want to point out based on what you have seen in the book of Leviticus. Number one, Jesus came to Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. The Bible lets us know specifically that he did. In fact, John is the one who points it out. In John chapter 12, John made certain that we had this information, that it was on the 10th day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey. Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This means that Jesus came into Bethany on the ninth day of the month. And so the next day is the 10th day, right? All right. And so John writes, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. What feast was it? The Passover heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches off palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The second thing that I want you to realize is that Jesus was observed and tested for five days by religious leaders. He was put on trial to discredit him as the perfect, spotless sacrifice. All of this took place from that 10th day of the first month to the 14th day of the first month. In fact, Jesus died at the exact time the lambs would be killed in the temple that day. Mark lets us know for sure in his gospel in chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. And when the sixth hour come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the evening, Jewish time, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And dropping down to verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus died at the same time that the lambs would be killed for the Passover. And the third point I want to make tonight is that Jesus gave his whole self to the sacrifice for our sins. Just as the entire lamb, as we read, was to be consumed and no bones were to be broken, Jesus became our Passover lamb. This was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. Why? Because he was the Passover lamb. And so for us, quickly, as we're heading into our app time, I just want to make this application for us. That this feast represents our initial step towards God. The Passover is the first feast on the Jewish calendar for a reason. In God's plan, our response to him does not begin at an altar at a church. It begins at an altar in our home. We invite him into our daily lives. You see, if we have a religion, we only acknowledge him in a specific location. But the way we know that we have a relationship with God is when we invite him into every part of our lives, not just 
in these walls. And so to come out of Egypt, to come out of sin, in God's plan, that journey begins in our homes, in our daily routines, in the things we go about every day. God had them make an altar on the doorstep of their homes. The threshold of the house became a place of sacrifice. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Bishop Dad used to tell us that God made a family before he made his church. And I would add that God had his people make an altar at home long before the altar was made for the tabernacle in the wilderness. You see, it starts in our homes. I felt such confirmation through the revival for the timing of this series. Brother Brian made reference to the Passover so powerfully in one of his messages. He referenced how God has used this time in human history to reestablish the fact that the church is not a location. That the altar is not just limited to King Road for us. The altar actually begins for us in our homes. And so seeing the symbolism of the Passover in God's plan has definitely changed the way I see the role of God in our homes. And I believe it's a revelation that God wants to give us for the purpose of revolutionizing our concept of what it means to live for him every day. I believe with more clarity than I ever have that our relationship with God begins in our homes, in our daily decisions, and in our habits. And Passover is the first step towards God's peace in our lives. Amen. And so now it's app time. And the app time question is simply this. What does the application and meaning of Passover look like in our everyday lives? And so if you're new to app time or you've forgotten because it's been so long, find somebody near you and uh, consider this question together. Lincoln's ready. Lincoln needs a partner. Somebody wants to, <laughs> wants to talk to her about the Passover. Okay, so, so what is the application and the meaning of Passover in our everyday spiritual lives? Go. I invite you to stand with me. Kind of like good discussion out there. I want to read uh, for you two more verses as we conclude tonight. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus became 
Jesus was the feast of the Passover. He was the perfect lamb. The only one who could take care of the sin problem for all mankind, for all of time. Don't you feel privileged to know who Jesus is? I hope you better understand what he accomplished. There weren't just random events that the gospel writers recorded, but it was all perfectly orchestrated in the plan of God all the way back in the Old Testament. That when the Jews applied the blood to the doorpost that night in God's mind, he knew that he would be that substitute someday, that it would be his blood applied to our lives that redeems us that makes us his own. Amen. And so I want us to just conclude with prayer tonight. And I hope that maybe you will just uh, apply that challenge of what the threshold meant in the Old Testament, that idea of building an altar in your home. I know that we kind of had to do that. We were forced to do that when we were in lockdown. But I think the Lord was trying to reestablish something very important in his word that time and tradition has maybe uh, taken away from us or maybe taken our attention off of it. But we must make that first step toward God in the context of our daily lives long before we can come to an altar and repent of our sins and receive the Spirit of God. We have to acknowledge our need of God to make a sacrifice and say, God, come and pass over into my everyday life. Come invade my world and my heart and change me and do what only you can. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for your word that is so powerful, that is so helpful to us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to the Calvary Church through this series, God. The, the profound truth that is found, not just in the feasts as they were observed in the Old Testament, but to understand how you participated. Lord, how you embodied what they were practicing and what they were celebrating. I pray for fresh revelation of who you are and who you want to be in our lives, the kind of relationship that we were created to have with you. Go with us, Lord, and keep us safe, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.